Well, we'll be looking at a few verses in Deuteronomy 25 in a moment. A couple of interesting little bits here. I had an interesting email from a friend this week who had uh, sent it out on behalf of a friend of his, a woman who was concerned because her husband, she said, was likely to be forced to work on Sundays. And she sought to have a law passed so that people would have an option whether they worked on Sundays or not. Her motives, I think, were probably good. Her theology wasn't, as it happened. But she mentioned the church she attended and where she was an active member, her and her husband. And actually, she's in fact, has this petition up on the web uh, to go to the government to send to Downing Street, and she was looking for people to sign up to it. Out of interest, I, I, I looked up the church where she attended. And it was interesting, actually, because it talked about the youth group. And it says the group meets every Sunday at 8.15 to 10, straight after the evening worship opportunity. That is a funny expression, actually, the evening worship opportunity. And it says there's always time in the gap between the evening worship opportunity and the group to get KFC, Kentucky, Kentucky Fried Chicken, to catch or to catch up with our mates. Time to do that. They have either time between the service and the starting of the youth group to go down to the Kentucky Fried Chicken and uh, get something to eat. I wondered whether or not there were any Christians working in Kentucky Fried Chicken on a Sunday. And just in passing, I sent a reply back. And I said that the dear woman should first get her church organised before trying to get the government to have an option whether people should work on Sundays or not. He didn't take it on board, my friend. It just struck me, we all have to be very careful. If her local newspaper got word of it, that all the youth group are traipsing down to the Kentucky Fried Chicken on a Sunday, and the people were working there, and uh, she was trying to get it that they didn't have to work on a Sunday, they'd have a heyday. Uh, following on from this, there was a bit in the Times a week or so ago, uh, and it's just this uh, double dealing that we get. Lord Stern of Brentford, he wrote a very influential uh, paper called the Stern Report and it was all about the cost of tackling global warming and he told the Times reporter that people will need to consider turning vegetarian if the world is to conquer climate change and he said that eating meat is a wasteful use of water and creates a lot of greenhouse gases. It puts enormous pressure on the world's resources. A vegetarian diet is better. But you know, this guy, Lord Stern, had the audacity to acknowledge that he himself was not a strict vegetarian. And that's the way it is. All this double dealing in politics, telling everybody to become vegetarian because it was costing so much, 
and the guy who's saying it isn't a vegetarian himself. These people are deceived. They're all leading towards the one world government system. Of course, you know, we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We should always take care of God's creation. But we should not imitate those who, Paul says, who change the truth of God into a lie and serve the creature more than the creator. Romans 1.25 So that's it, just those two, two little bits of uh, information. We turn to Deuteronomy 25 and we'll read from verse 17. <clears throat> Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when ye were come forth out of Egypt how he met thee by the way and smote the, hind, the hindmost of thee even all that were feeble behind thee when thou wast faint and weary and he feared not God he feared not God Therefore it shall be, when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about, in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, thou shalt not forget it. Of course, they're calling it the tribe here after the name of a man we're more familiar with the Amalekites same people the same people who did this to the Israelites as they came out of Egypt to more fully understand uh, what these verses are about we should look at Exodus 17 Exodus chapter 17 and we'll read just a few verses there Exodus 17, verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. This is a very interesting story. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. The rod of God showing God's authority, the scepter. That type of, uh, type of the rod in Moses' hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. The Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, 
and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah is our banner. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Jehovah is our banner. Always get the impression, you know, when we used to see the American cavalry going out and they always had a banner in front. And the banner that these Moses said he wanted to portray was the fact that Jehovah was their leader. Amalek was the grandson of Esau, the one who despised his God-given birthright. And he flew in the face of God, all for the sake of a mess of pottage. And from Amalek came the Amalekites, and these were a constant bother to the, the Israelites for years. Right from the time the Israelites were redeemed from Egypt, they had been fighting a rearguard attack on those weakest in the rear of the column. I, I was reminded, you know, of those, the great migration through Africa of the wildebeests. Thousands and thousands of these animals running through the land. This migration going on for ages and ages. And we can, when we see the films of that, we see the weakest being picked off by the jackals and the lions at the rear of the column. You don't see them going at the front of the column and taking all the strongest, but they're picking the, the weak ones off at the back. And that reminded me of the Amalekites taking the, the weakest out from the back of the uh, column of people coming out of Egypt. You know, this was the first time that Israel had to fight. Up until then, God had fought for them. Everything they had came from God. But this, from now on in, they were going to have to fight against those in the land and to uphold the name of Jehovah. Up until this time, Jehovah had fought with them. They had been redeemed from Egypt. The power of the evil dictator, Pharaoh, had been broken, not by anything that the Israelites had done, but through the blood of the lamb which had been slain. The blood had been put on the side posts and on the lintel and when God had said when I see the blood I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt and they the Israelites through the blood of the lamb had been freed from the power of this wicked Pharaoh and now they, if you read the, the, a bit further behind in that chapter in uh, Exodus, you'll see that they have been feeding on the manna, 
and they had been drinking of the water from the rock. The manna, a type of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. And the living water, a type, as Jesus had said, of the gift of the Holy Spirit. John 7:37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus had not yet been glorified. When Jesus went and was glorified and ascended to heaven, then the Father could send the Spirit into the, the lives of the Christians and the church. I'm feeding on the living bread, I'm drinking at the fountain head, and whoso drinketh, Jesus said, shall never, never thirst again. What? Never thirst again? No, never thirst again. And whoso drinketh, Jesus said, shall never, never thirst again. And all these things, up until then, had been accomplished by their God for them. There was nothing they could have done in order to obtain their redemption out of Egypt and to receive the manna and the water from the rock. And it's the same with us. You know that old hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson, crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garment twice in the blood of Calvary's lamb. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. But now, as they entered the land, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, they were soon to find that there would be trials and dangers to overcome. They needed to eat daily of the bread, the manna. And we need to eat daily of the bread of life as we feed upon the word of God, our daily bread. Thereby they were given the strength to go on through the land. They were to drink daily of the water. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives day by day in order to go through the land. There's an interesting verse actually in Psalm 105. Psalm 105, verse 37 and 38. And there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them fell upon them. 
There was a lot of fear. As they left Egypt, there was not one feeble person amongst them. That was the state of them. You know, it would seem that now there were some who were not moving on in the energy and strength of the manna and the water from the rock. You see, we too daily as well need to be refreshed by the word of God and the leading comfort and strength of the whole Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to. Otherwise, we may fall to temptation of the flesh. You know, we will suffer tribulation in this world. We will come across many attacks of the flesh. Amalek, he feared not God. We will also be attacked by many people who are Amaleks. Those who have no fear of God. And by many Amaleks who should know better. Esau, Amalek's grandfather, had all the opportunities to be a warrior for God. But he feared not God. And he turned his back on the God of Israel and became an enemy of the children of God. Quite frightening. We had Jacob and Esau and he turned his back, Esau, on God. He did not fear God. Today we have men who are supposedly fighting for the church of Jesus Christ but in fact are wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus said there would be wolves in sheep's clothing who would come in and seek to lead the true believers in him astray. Even today we have the Archbishop of Canterbury meeting with the Pope and in, in, in seeking harmony and compromise of the scriptures for which he's supposed to stand and for which his predecessors in fact died in upholding them. They were tortured and burned at the stake. People, Amaleks, claiming to be followers. And he doesn't even believe the doctrines of his own church. There are many Amaleks around today. We need to be on our guard. But should we be surprised? What did Jesus say? John 16.33 These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. Oh, you know, we're, we're talking about the way things are in the world. But Jesus said that in me ye might have peace. Isn't that wonderful? In him we can have peace. In the storm and the boat when he was in, he said, peace, be still. With Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm. Because he brings peace in the midst of the storm. In the world, he said, ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Writing to the church in Smyrna, in Revelations 2 verse 10. 
Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Jesus said, you'll have peace. It says, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. What wonderful words of comfort to that church in Smyrna. You see, we must understand, I was thinking about this, that Jesus taught that we are to be salt and light in this world. Therefore, in a world that follows the prince of darkness, any who wish to dispel this evil darkness by the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ will suffer tribulation. Satan doesn't want his darkness to be made light. And he will see it that those who seek to do that will suffer tribulation. <clears throat> Salt antagonizes uh, and it acts against corruption and it cleanses. You put salt into a wound, it will cleanse the wound. In a world that is corrupt and putrid, and how corrupt this world is, controlled by one who promotes such evil, the prince of darkness, Satan, then anyone who seeks to eradicate this evil through this bringing in the salt of the word of God will be one who will suffer tribulation. So we must not fear because the light within us from God is the light of the world. The light of the world is Jesus. And we have the power the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells within us. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within us. Therefore we must seek to shine into the darkness. Jesus bids us shine with a pure clear light. Like a little candle burning in the night. In this world of darkness so we must shine. You in your, your small corner and I in mine. How true the children's hymn. Jesus wants me for a sunbeam to shine for him each day. But you know, Amalek speaks to us of the flesh and as to how we may be drawn away from God through the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.17 Galatians 5.17 For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. Oh how, how well we know that in our own lives. The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. A battle within us. 
And as we said, this was the first attack against Israel, and it was an attack to tempt them away from their walk, their daily walk, and to hinder in some way their walk with their way with God. They had been redeemed, but now they were being attacked in their walk. You know, Christ has gained for us the victory. And now we must live in the light of that victory in this evil world. The ruler of this world will place many fleshly obstacles in our path. But we will have the victory not through ourselves. But look at 1 Corinthians 15 and see what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57 and 58. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through something we can do, no. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that old Irish prayer we mentioned a few weeks ago? It sums it up quite well, really. May all transitory things, O Lord, be worthless in mine eyes. And dear to me everything that is thine. And thou, O Lord, above all things... Give me a watchful heart which no sinful curiosity may lead astray. Also, many times we are drawn away from God by some sinful curiosity. The prayer says, Give me a watchful heart which no sinful curiosity may lead astray, which no unworthy affection may debase I was talking to a chap the other day and he was saying that his daughter was asking how his, his daughter was she was a lovely little girl and he said she's she's just her life's a mess she's been arrested three times she's into drink and drugs she's only 17 She got in with the wrong company. And these unworthy affections have debased her and brought her down to their level. And this prayer says, Give me a watchful heart which no sinful curiosity may lead astray, which no unworthy affection may debase. That nothing that we become fond of or those with whom we mix 
will they debase our affection in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. Give me, O Lord, a strong heart which no temptation may overcome. Keep us away from the Amaleks. May they have no effect on our lives. We need to be ever watchful. But finally, how was this victory against Amalek obtained? Well, it was a twofold thing. The battle was raging against Israel. Joshua was down in the valley uh, fighting. A very real battle going on. But you know, on the mountaintop there was a spiritual battle. And both were necessary. One could not proceed, proceed independently of the other. They were both intertwined. If there was to be victory, actually, there had to be a spiritual battle won as well. Moses was up on the mountain and on one side he was holding his hands up. A sign of him praying. And as he was there, if he took his hands down, Amalek started to win. As long as he held his hands up. And beside him was Aaron and a man called Hur. Moses' arms got tired. He dropped them. So they got him sitting down on a rock and they stood beside him and Aaron held one hand and her held up the other. And as long as that kept like that, the battle proceeded right to sundown. And it says, I think it's a very strange word, Joshua discomforted. He beat them. They won, but they were discomforted. He didn't wipe them out at this stage. But he did what was necessary at that time. And who was Aaron? Aaron, Aaron was the great high, the, the high priest. A type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our great high priest. And look. A couple of verses. That Paul has said in Acts. Paul in Acts 23 and verse 13. There had been a big disturbance and. Uh, things were were not good. There had been nearly a riot because of Paul. But it said, And the night following, the Lord stood by him. The Lord stood by him. The Lord will always stand by us in times of need. If we come to him and make our request known. In 2 Timothy 4.16 there are other uh, passages here which Paul says. At my first answer when he was brought before the, 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 the courts in, in Rome. At my first answer no man stood with me. All his friends, all those who were with him departed. All men forsook me. 
I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Later on he tells the Ephesians to put on the armour of God so that he will be protected from the fiery darts of the evil one. From the Amaleks who are there to discourage him. In our trials the Lord is with us. He is our intercessor and he's our advocate. And he was standing there, Aaron was standing in the type of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And he was there standing with Moses. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore he, the Lord Jesus Christ, is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. Why? Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. That was the picture of Moses. His arms being held up by Aaron, the high priest. And you know, we need to have purity of heart to accompany our prayers and our supplications. And this man, her, his name meant purity. And he was there, standing alongside Moses and Aaron. And then we know that it says there that in Deuteronomy 25, and Amalek, will endure but God says one day his name will be blotted out from from the land under the sun thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven thou shalt not forget it oh we stray away so easily the hymn says oh to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee prone to wander Lord I feel it prone to leave the God I love here's my heart oh take and seal it seal it for thy courts above we need to be aware of the Amaleks in our lives those things which will hinder our walk with the Lord we should pray that prayer 
prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it before thy courts above.